Hey babies, before we start the show, I just wanted to quickly say I'm doing a one-off encore performance of my stand-up show, Chilled Out, Fired Up, in Sydney on the 20th of August. That's the show that I was touring around earlier in the year. I'm doing one more show of it at the Enmore Theatre Comedy Club because I'm recording a comedy album. And I would love you to come because I goddamn love comedy albums. And most important ingredient of a comedy album is the fucking audience, which would be you. You can Google it or it's in the show notes right now. So you can just look at it on your phone that you're holding and use the promo code. Yeah, baby, to get cheaper tickets for you. So that's yeah, baby, all one word, cheaper tickets. Love you to come. Bye bye. If you want more from us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Total Reboot and subscribe to our new spin-off podcast, Total Reboot Riffs, for just five bucks a month. You also get access to a super secret Facebook chat group, which is so fun. I wish I wish we always had it. It's so fun to hang out with all you guys on Facebook. I want more of you guys in there, so if you want to hang out with us, you have to pay. <laughs> 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 so cough up, dirtbags. <laughs> <laughs> That's patreon.com slash total reboot. What's Riffs all about? Riffs is just us coming up with pitches for new reboots or remakes for existing movies. They're so funny. And the other thing that we do in Riffs is we do commentary tracks for some of the most exciting films of all time. Yeah. For example... Reservoir Dogs. Oh, my God. The Imagine way us it's... gabbing over the top of that. Oh, God, it'd be so annoying, but it's there <laughs> if you pay for it. Totalitarians and indeed jungle babies, please step in out of the cold. Step in to the hotel total reboot. Yes, we have vacancies. How many? Twelve. Twelve vacancies. Twelve rooms, twelve vacancies. Check in, relax, take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about Films. Mm-hmm. I'm Cameron James, and I'm sitting in the lobby of the hotel mm-hmm. opposite the bellhop, <laughs> Alexi Teleopolis. Thank you so much for employing one extra helping hand at this very busy motel that we're living in well, these days. I think Norman Bates could have used a helping hand oh, around the place. That wouldn't wouldn't that be a freaking twist that you weren't allowed to tell people, according to the chubster himself, Average Hitchcock? <laughs> There was actually someone else working there. Mm. That would be a cool sequel idea if it was like uh, told from someone who was also there, but yeah. you never saw them. Yeah, I was hiding the whole time. <laughs> Albert Gas should have freaking interviewed me. Today, Cameron, on Total Reboot, which is the podcast where we go through reboots and remakes and ripoffs in cinema, comparing and contrasting them with their originals. We're doing a little series that we've wanted to talk about mm. for so damn long. It's for, it's, it's for 40 years, for 50 f- years maybe. <laughs> 
40 years we wanted to dive into this series. Well, I think this is one of the things that we've most wanted to do because I think it's very emblematic on what we want to do with this mm-hmm. uh, podcast series in its entirety. We're going to be talking about like an absolute all-time classic masterpiece yep. film that is beloved by everyone, changed cinema forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to dip into an underappreciated sequel to that movie that fucking no one knows exists really. <laughs> yeah. And then talk about a bizarre shot-for-shot remake of the film itself as well. The films are, of course, Psycho. Today we're looking at the original 1960 by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm so excited to talk about the Gus Van Sant 98 edition. Next week, baby. Next week, because in my living memory... That's the first time that I remember there being a huge outcry about a mm, remake. Yeah. I remember I was a young lad. Really? You were young? I used to be young. Okay. I was 10 at this point. Okay. And already all the buzz was that it shouldn't have been being made. That's what people were talking yeah. about. Yeah. How dare they? So we'll be getting right into that. But before we do, of course, we need to check in. To the original hotel. Dunstan style, baby. We're checking in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're checking in Dunstan style to the Bates Motel. Should we just dive into it? Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. This motel also has, as an adjunct, an old house, which is, if I may say so, A little more sinister looking, less innocent than the motel itself. And in this house, the most dire, horrible events took place. I think we can go inside because the place is up for sale. Although I don't know who's going to buy it now. In that window on the second floor, the single one in front. That's where the woman was first seen. Let's go inside. Psycho, 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The master of suspense moves his camera into the icy blackness of the unexplored. When larcenous real estate clerk Marion Crane goes on the lamb with a wad of cash and hopes of starting a new life, she ends up at the notorious Bates Motel, where their manager Norman Bates cares for his housebound mother. The place seems quirky, but fine, until Marion decides to take a shower. Holy crap. Oh, gosh. Even reading that just sends a freaking shiver down my quiver, if you will. It's the scariest movie of all time. It is. it is. I think it's genuinely still very effective. The I don't think it's scary. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's old as fuck. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. That concludes the episode. I can't, I can't ever get scared by anything that's mm. this old. <laughs> Anything that's black and white, anything that has um, like really a black code era uh, acting in it. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I okay. I can't get scared by it, but I can absolutely appreciate mm. it, which of course I did because I'd be a fucking idiot if I said this wasn't a masterpiece because it is. Yeah. It's a masterpiece of filmmaking. 
I think um, this is probably. I just like, wish Hitchcock got to work with good actors. I, think, I mean, he does a little bit. Are you serious, brother? This has got some great performances in that's it. True, that's true. That's true. Um, I think uh, this must be like my tenth time watching Psycho. Mm, mm. It's one of those movies that I had to study a lot in film classes. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I myself had to remake Psycho as in my one of my first film film assignments ever. You had to remake the whole film. I had to remake the whole film, shot for shot. No, no, it was. <laughs> The assignment was we were given a, a scene from Psycho mm-hmm. uh, that we had to reinterpret. And right. the scene is, of course, when Marion checks into the hotel. Yep. 12 rooms, 12 vacancies, mm-hmm. that whole scene. Mm-hmm. So I had to film my own version of it. And I made it like clerk style. He worked at a video store, much like the video store I worked at. Can the I get time. 12 new releases? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's basically what it is. It was like that. It was like <laughs> it was. It was, uh, it was 12 new releases, $12. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun exercise, but it's like it's yeah. I, that scene's dialogue is like burned into my mind, but yeah. I just remember it all. We had to do so many fucking assignments like that when I was at uni, um, mm. but they were never with classics. We yeah. would just get given the scripts to Australian TV cop shows, yeah, like Water Rats, and Stingers, Stingers, and shit. <laughs> we would just have to reinterpret scenes from Stingers. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Everyone go to Newcastle Uni. I'm sure it's gotten better. Yeah, I'm sure it probably has by now. But <laughs> I, I, this, I, I can't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I just have always had a fondness for it. And every time I return to it, I find it. It still gets me. Like yeah. I don't mean I get frightened by it, mm-hmm. but there's new things that I notice. There is new touches I notice as I become more, uh, more literate, more literate, and more knowing what Hitchcock does with his yeah. films yeah. and understanding him as like the you know the all-time master of cinema. Can I get you to take me back to the first time? Maybe not the first time you watched it, but the first time you really got it. Mm. The first time you checked in. <laughs> I reckon like a, I must mm. have been in high school. Okay. I must have been in high school. A young boy. A young man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. A young man. I reckon this is when I became a man. So you'd, you'd lost your V-plates. Uh, no, 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 no. They had sunk in a swamp. <laughs> yeah. They, my V-plates were still in the swamp when no one could find them. <laughs> no one knew if they existed. No one knew if they had been taken. Yeah. Um, they were still firmly intact. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, I I remember I rented it from the video store sure. with my father. I must have been about like four, 13 or 14. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I'd already had seen like Godfather and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And this was me trying to get into more classical films from the um, like either pre like this is I think just post Haze Code. Mm. And the Haze Code, if you're so not many familiar, hangovers of it though. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. many, but it broke a lot of them as well. We're yeah. very thankful that this movie fucking exists to break the Hayes Code. If you're not familiar with what the Hayes Code is, it was uh, uh, by the MPAA in America, which mm-hmm. was like a, a, a governing body, really, that put like a censorship over films mm. uh, that would like, allow smuttiness to not be present in films, really. One of the famous, uh, famous bits of the Hayes Code is that if a man and woman unmarried mm. are on a bed... One of them has to have their feet on the ground. Yeah. Which you see in this movie. Weird things like that. And yeah. then you see hangovers from that for years mm. where like married couples in films and TV often had separate stuff. beds. Yeah. Like Doris Day, like romantic horror comedy yeah. starring Doris Day and stuff. You know, pillow talk, they're not in the same room. It's all mm. over the phone and all those kind of things. Was well, not showing a toilet, one of them? <laughs> That's in this movie. That's, you do see a toilet. This in is the, the first yeah. movie you see a toilet flush. The first movie that proved 
that toilets exist. Yeah, <laughs> it changed up until the then world. it wasn't. Is, but isn't confirmed. that such a, a weird thing? Yeah, that, that yeah. is literally one of the things that this film changed. Was it's you crazy. never saw a toilet flush in a film before. Mm. Never heard it flush. Never saw anyone take a dookie in a movie before. <laughs> Whereas now we've seen so many shits on film. <laughs> Jackass would not exist <laughs> if it weren't for Psycho. We wouldn't be there today. Yeah, yeah. but that. It, but Psycho would be a great name for Jackass. Mm. Oh, for sure, Psychos. Yeah. Psycho, that'll be freaking awesome. Yeah, I love that. But even, but also when you're like the Hays Code is something that's so weird and so important to cinema and how cinema was shaped back in the old days. And if you explore further beyond the Hays Code, like earlier films, you'll be shocked to see how much like crazy shit were in them and how much mm. kind of like raunchy and uh, raunchy and <laughs> smutty things were in films before this was put into place. Mm. So it can be quite shocking. I kind of I'm trying to think of examples, but they would all be stuff from before the 30s, really. Like, yeah. the early, early yeah. 30s and late 20s. Um, but I remember seeing this movie when I was a teenager and just kind of being, like, entranced by it. I think it was one of the first movies uh, where I was entranced by, like, the shots mm. and how suspense was being created by the length we were holding on shots. Mm. And there was... And I, I, I got caught off guard by a lot of it. I knew what the twist was at the end yeah, of I the movie. Yeah, I think we all did, right? Pop culture had ruined that for us. Yeah. But I didn't We've know. We've seen it parodied a lot of times. The exactly. shower scene had been done in everything from yeah. vacation to The Simpsons, everything. Yeah. So I knew the shower scene, but I didn't know the context of it. Yeah. So I didn't know about Marion Crane. I didn't know about mm. that subversion of the tr- of the protagonist happening in this film. Can so I, Can I ask you a question? Then, yes, of now course. That we're here on Marion Crane. Did you know the shock twist that she dies half an hour into this No, that's movie. what I'm saying. I didn't know you that. You didn't know that at all? That's things I didn't know. You would have thought that that shower sequence would have taken place later in the movie sort of thing? I think I wasn't even aware of right. it. Like, I knew the shower scene existed. I'd seen it. I yeah. probably... Like, maybe not exactly, but on The Simpsons or whatever. Did it, it affect you? Did, did you? did her dying shock you or take... Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I didn't I, know. I, I think it was the though? first time I would have seen a movie where we lose our main character and I it, feel it, like, it shifts. I feel like we'd seen one already with Scream, our generation. I wouldn't have seen Scream before this. You saw Psycho before Scream. I saw Psycho definitely okay, before right. Scream. Well, yeah, for me at least, I'd seen that mm. spin on it. I'd seen the Drew Barrymore dying in Scream. Yeah. Before this, so maybe it didn't have the effect on me. Also, I saw this way later than you. I was when did you see it? My uni. Really? I didn't see it till yeah. uni. I was telling you earlier, I saw Psycho 98 before I saw this. Mm, I think I had seen 98 bits of it before this because it was on TV more. Yeah. And so I would have seen it like in passing and kind of knew of its existence. Mm. The poster was very famous for yeah. Psycho 98. Yeah, oh, so. for sure. But I must have known about it because I remember seeing the, the poster for Psycho 98 at the movies. Mm. I would have been 10. I would have been going to see like Small Soldiers or yeah. A Bug's Life or something. Yeah. I think they both came out that year. Did you... Th- did you know of the existence of this original film? I must have because I remember seeing the poster and getting the shower, the shower. reference yeah. and get like seeing the shower with the blood and stuff and seeing the tagline was check in, relax, take a shower yeah. and me thinking that was funny yeah, and trying to explain to whoever I was with. I was like, oh, that's so yeah. funny because... Um, she dies in a shower And they're like How do you know It's not out yet yeah. like, It's actually been out For 40 years So <laughs> So it had been You know It's one of those things That I just must have Known mm. about forever I yeah. can't even think of What I would have seen That would have parodied it 
But probably everything. Probably everything. Mel Brooks movies. Mel, and, well, High Anxiety. That was on yeah, TV a lot yeah. when we were growing up on TV One. Yeah. Our beloved classic, we love classic TV, TV channel on Foxtel. <laughs> we, we love TV One. It'll yeah. be coming up a few times over this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> it certainly will. Over the next few weeks. Um, but, you know, that High Anxiety. So Hitchcock was so parried already mm. as we were, when we were kids. It was so, like, entrenched in not just cinematic language but film language TV language everything mm. uh, in media and so I was familiar with Alfred Hitchcock before that when I was very young because my grandparents and my mother and my father absolutely loved Alfred Hitchcock my, really? my mum would always do um, an impression of Alfred Hitchcock from his show like good evening is what she would always say like that was her Man, thing I reckon I'd be surprised if my parents have seen any any Hitchcock really movies. yeah maybe Psycho they would have I'm he's so I reckon everyone they would have been seen babies one. when this came out yeah I don't know if they would have ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents are still babies yeah. that's a weird thing about yeah. me your parents are babies <laughs> they were meant to Benjamin Button but they but they didn't. never did yeah. they liked being they babies freaking, so much they Benjamin unbuttoned dude <laughs> I'm Benjamin unzipped. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reboot of Benjamin Button's Benjamin Zip. All right, keep that in mind for future. Uh -huh. We will do that. We will have to oh, do that. Maybe phone call. I'll um, ignore it. Okay, good, good boy. Um, <laughs> so what were we saying? Yeah, parents your parents babies. loved it. Your parents yeah, loved Hitchcock, yeah. so you would have had a, a fair yeah. familiarity with him, and maybe even with. The talk around him. The talk around him, the, knowing the him idea as... idea of him as a genius auteur. Yeah, sure. and knowing who he was was yeah. the thing as well for me, was I knew what he looked like. I knew he was like this chubby little tubster with a cigar, not unlike Winston Churchill, and that is why I always think they're the same person <laughs> in my head. But I just, I knew what, he, I knew who he was. I knew that he was a director. He was probably mm -hmm. the first director that I was aware of. Yeah. The person where that was their job to sure. make fucking movies and stuff. Yeah. And um, I, but I thought he was like the host of the movies as well because I knew from the yeah, TV show. Yeah, yeah. And I would have seen definitely um, The Man Who Knew Too Much, which is the Doris Day, Jimmy Stewart. You've uh, seen that already. I would have seen that one as a child. Because I remember that one. It had the Doris Day theme song, K Sarah Sarah, hmm. and she sung that in there. And, I, um, and that itself, we will have to talk in this podcast because it's a remake of a 1936 Alfred Hitchcock film itself. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, I knew that. And so Psycho was one where I knew that it was scary. And I mm. don't know if I was genuinely scared, but I think I was open to it and understanding what would have given people chills mm. at the time, even though knowing the twist at the end and everything like that. I think the maybe the problem with me was that I came to it as a film student, mm. first time I'd seen it, and... You know, I was on a course on fucking auteurs, probably, yeah. auteur theory. Mm. And so, I'm getting drilled into my head the whole time that this is the work of a genius. Yeah. And I watched it, loved it, ended up watching a lot of other Hitchcock mm. movies as a result, but I've never been able to view it outside of auteur theory. Or academically. Or academic, mm. yeah. And I, I think, we, we talk a bit about auteur theory on this show, and um, I'm more... I don't really buy into the idea of a director necessarily as an auteur anymore. It's just there, whoever the main voice is. So mm. in this case, yes, director, he is the main voice. Whereas yeah. we've talked in the past about writers being auteurs and performers Actors, being yeah. auteurs as well. But or collaborative yeah. auteurs and stuff. But at uni, I was being taught that only directors mm. are auteurs. Mm. 
and that this is how you be a director. You yeah. insert your voice and your style into everything you, to the point where you dominate, your style dominates over everything yeah. else, everyone's performance. I'd say maybe Bernard Herrmann's score is almost as auteuristic yeah. Yeah, in this movie. Hard but, to deny. But I mean, I also learnt simultaneously to watching this that Hitchcock treated his actors like shit mm. and has that famous quote where he compares them to cattle. Yeah. So I think that kind of an, was how I thought about directors for a mm. long time, which now I disagree with. Oh, totally, yeah. So I don't know. I've, I've never been able to look at it unacademically. Yeah. This I, was the first time for really? in a long time that I've able to, been able to look at, at it from the point of view of someone who disagrees with Hitchcock. Can you tell, talk to talk to me on that for a moment, then, please? Because I find that mm. I find it hard to disagree with Hitchcock. Like I, obviously, as someone who's studied film and someone who's mm. made film, mm. I would I like I love actors. I love working with actors. Like yeah. one of the best parts of the job. Yeah. But so he didn't. That's, that's the kind allegedly. of thing, allegedly he did not. I think he might have just been saying that. In mm. looking back on it, I think he liked his persona as being a controlling, cold, yeah. like Churchill esque figure. Yeah. And I think he probably just said stuff like that to be funny. Yeah. Looking back on it. Well, he had a wicked sense of humor. <laughs> he, <certainly laughs> he certainly did. But I, I think on watching this and mm. the remake that the acting is integral to the tone yeah. of this movie because yeah. it's it could easily become melodrama. Yeah. And this mo- Psycho 1960... Nearly does at the very end. Yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any problem with melodrama. But yeah, I think yeah. the thing that I noticed this time as well, oh, what I want to hear more is your experience watching this time. You're saying you're watching mm. it like not academically, not with yeah. your filmmaking brain on as an audience, yeah. like, you know, just a punter mind or whatever yeah. you're saying. What, what was that like then? Well, I think mainly uh, first time watching it without really wanting to be a director as mm. well. Mm. So as a uni student or someone in my early 20s who wanted to be a director, I'd watch this and really just look at the movements, the editing, the camera work, etc. But now I think I had the freedom of being able to just watch the performances mm. and they're all pretty great. Yeah. They're all spot on. Obviously, Anthony Perkins um, stands out. As like, Norman Bates, it's just one of the best performances ever, right? And it's up against... It's interesting because it's up against these actors that are coming out of Hayes Code style yeah. of acting mm. and that kind of like 50s melodrama, mm. kitchen sink style of not really giving any of your own personality to yeah. a performance. For example, and no offense to the guy, but John Gavin as Sam Loomis is so wooden yeah. next to Anthony Perkins yeah. as Norman Bates. The is, scenes they have together, it's yeah. like, this is two different schools of acting. Do right you know now. what uh, Anthony Perkins' acting history is? Like, I know him from some other movies and stuff like no, that. But not really. I wonder if he's like... Because he is so naturalistic in this movie at the points where it needs to be naturalistic. Mm. And then mm. the points when it needs to be ho- truly heightened for horror or plot purposes. Mm. It's it, it, He makes that transition with what would seem effortlessly. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. It feels like you're watching someone acting before their time mm. a little bit. 
And I guess the, the black and white helps for that. You're like, exactly. oh, he's in the olden days, but look at him. He's using techniques that modern actors use. Mm, it reminds me of like you see those early Mullen Brando movies. I was going to say Brando, yeah, like 100%. The, the two big, and James Dean too. James Dean and yeah, Brando, the yeah. two big ones for when I was you know, the same age, going through like these classic mm. older black and white films that are known for like changing history. Um, the original A Streetcar Named Desire, mm-hmm. where you've got Brando doing this so naturalistic thing and then you've got old actors like fucking is it Vivian Lee? Yeah. And who's just like, you know, also giving a tremendous performance but it's so different. But the big one for me is the one that I think it stands out so much for is Julius Caesar the with Marlon Brando as uh, Mark Anthony mm. because it's him and John Gilgood and like <laughs> James Mason and stuff like yeah. that. So John Gilgood, classic English actor. James Mason who's like a very classic kind of theatrical mm. Hayes Code type actor as well. And the and him, who's very naturalistic, has these three very different performances that somehow all work in the same right, film. Right, right, and right. so watching these movies that are like towards the end of Hayes Code, you're seeing a lot of stuff like that going mm. on. Yeah, it is interesting. This this movie has it where you go, okay, some of these people mm. are very clearly classic stage actors. And, and then another one, Anthony Perkins, who's... Performance. I don't know if he was a stage actor before this. I, d- I doubt it. I would, you know, maybe he was. But if I were to guess, I would say he's an acting school like a like a fucking I don't know Stanislavskian mm. acting school student because he is built for the screen. He's all subtleties. It's all little tremors in his voice, flickers yeah. of the eyes, body language. That's all stuff that reads incredibly well on camera. Yeah. Whereas someone like John Gavin. Or um, whoever uh, Simon Oakland as the um, psychiatrist at the end, they all feel like they're just acting with their bodies, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like and just talking deep and acting with their bodies rather than allowing their faces to perform. Yeah, it's really interesting to see all that side by side. And um, th- this time around, I really appreciated him. And Janet Lee, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're two fabulous actors. I think with Anthony Perkins as well, the thing that he captures in this movie, that he, he captures a sympathy that I oh, think yeah. is... It, I, it's unbelievable. And that's mm. This time on this viewing, that's what really struck me, is even knowing what he is, mm. who he becomes, what he's, what he's capable of, what he has done... To feel this genuine sympathy for this character that I know whose direction is like what direction he's going mm. in um, was it just it struck me as like holy fuck how, you, how does this mm. happen mm. and there's a few moments where I think I could see it building as well now but it's just like he has this sensitivity this uh, this innocence about him which comes through that naturalistic kind of lower status character that he is playing for yeah. the most part that uh it, it kind of breaks my heart a lot this movie it's watching a, this time if he wasn't a serial killer this would just be a portrait of a very sad disturbed young boy <laughs> a sad man who had a sad life working yeah. in a freaking sad and motel. it would be a good movie um yeah. Where do you see it building up are you talking about the parlor scene where he in- yeah. invites her into the parlor which I yeah. I love that he calls it a parlor. The parlor. Everything about the um, the dialogue in this is great. Every mm. word choice in that scene he invites her into the parlor, which just feels like there's an old rhyme, like an old nursery rhyme, yeah. which is like Come step into, into my, my parlor, yeah. set the spider to the fly, yeah. shit like that, and like he uses all this bird language yeah. throughout that scene. And there's like all these like fucking taxidermy shit yeah. around them. I mean, but- it's like it could be too much, mm. and it is in the 
remake. Yeah, <laughs> like, but we, but, you know, it, it could be too much, but it just still feels like just like a weird quaint side and road. It's sad because mm. we're, we've just seen him be berated by his mother, and mm. he comes in, and then she starts showing sympathy for him, and mm. I think her performance is so brilliant in that moment to give to this other actor, to this other performer, because everything else up until that point in the movie, apart mm. from with her and Sam Loomis at the start of the film, mm. is her hiding her hiding from everyone yeah, else and not cagey. giving. Cagey. And then to start giving when she's on the run mm. is just like that turn from her is fucking brilliant. Let me ask you a question because mm. I hadn't thought about it till just now. Do you think that when he goes up to the house and you hear mother mm. yelling at him, that's his deliberate decision to manipulate mm, I don't think Marion so. I to think make her feel sorry for him because uh, it's a like it's a loud yeah performance. I don't maybe think... the psycho part of his brain yeah um, is thinking if I you know do this she'll start to like me sort of thing. I think it's I don't think it's a calculated manipulation. I don't mm. think it's of that character. I watching it this time. I truly believe that uh, Norman Bates and his mother are separate, are separate characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're inhabiting the same body, almost like a to a sap- supernatural extent. Yeah, me, uh, myself, and Irene style. Yes, very much in that style, <laughs> uh, where you're seeing it is literally two split personalities in yeah. someone. So yeah. I think Norman Bates is an innocent person mm. who has a horrible relationship with his mother. Yeah. Maybe I relate to the guy. <laughs> 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 no, no, I yeah. love my mother. No, we have no, a good relationship. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I do think you're right. I think he is completely unaware mm. and so shocked and heartbroken at the things that mother does. Yes. You see it when he comes back in to clean up the bathroom yeah. that he nearly throws up. He's like disgusted. And that whole long sequence after the shower scene so where it is him... It's a, like a fucking silent yeah. sequence where it's just him cleaning up after his mother. It's a He's long sickened by it. It's so it's like long. 10 minutes, maybe 10 longer. 10 minutes and there's no dialogue. Yeah, it's and great. it's just him just cleaning up after his mother. He feels upset by it. He feels sickened by it. And he feels um, compelled to like to do away yeah. with it, to look after this I business. I think that gets you back on his side a mm. little bit. Yeah. Because it's not like you're well, watching... I mean, um, you, don't know, you don't know anything at that point. You think it is... I know. I think maybe I'm... Maybe, yeah. yeah. See, that's another thing. It's so hard to talk about this movie as yeah. if you'd never seen it because yes. we already knew the twist by the time we saw this movie. So we're watching it from the perspective... It's a really unique, mm. bizarre thing that happens when yeah. you're watching a horror movie is that we want to see Norman Bates kill people. Yeah. <laughs> because we know that's what the twist is. So when we're seeing Norman Bates talk to Marion when she's checking in and he does... Dunstan little, style. Dunstan style. <laughs> and he does little things like reaches for key number three before yeah. changing his mind and giving her number one. We already know he's a psychopath, so we're watching mm. going, yeah, do the psycho thing. Do your psycho. Oh, he's giving her number one. That means, oh, it's probably the room where he kills people in. Like, yeah. we, we want to see it. It's perverse. Mm. Um, I've never had the luxury of watching this and having the twist revealed to yeah. me because I already knew it. So, I wonder if that long 10-minute sequence was designed to for rewatches mm. in order to make you like him again. To still feel sympathy for because, him. Because, yeah, you're like, it's not like you're watching a calculated um, murderer clean up using bleach yeah. and, like, getting all the specks of blood out in order to save himself. Mm. You're watching someone trying to save their mother's yeah. innocence, essentially. And 
I don't know. I think it. I think it's designed to make us like him. Oh, for sure. But it's also, designed. the casting is designed to make us like him. Yeah, it's all because he's such a sweetie-looking guy. He's he doesn't so, look like a creep at all. How did he not blow up after this? Well, he did. He did. Like this is a. This was such a huge movie. This yeah. was such a huge movie, and he found stardom did from he, it. He was, was he an Oscar nom or something for something else. Um. Yeah, he has been Oscar nominated. Nominated for an Oscar. Before this, yeah, he was nominated for an Oscar for a movie in 1956. What's called the movie called? Friendly Persuasion. Okay, which is a Gary Cooper movie. Yeah, so he was already famous before this film, or already like a kind of young beloved actor. Yeah, an up and comer, sort of like a Zac Efron type. I guess, yeah, Zacky, Zacky Efron. You know, <laughs> just a hot young guy doing his thing. And he did do things after this that are kind of well known. Like Murder the on Be- the Orient Express on the beach. Yeah, right? on the that beach, I know. And uh, oh, trial. on the beach was before. Yeah, no, was a trial after this. Trial. Was that's 62. Orson Welles, right? Yes. Yeah, and, that's a uh, wonderful movie. So, like, it's like you know, he's a working actor for sure. But I think he struggled with typecasting, is from what I understand. Which was- is crazy because I don't like. This is not a portrait. Of a classic yeah. murderer, you know? Exactly. We've seen... I've, there are so many actors that I could go, oh, yeah, they deserve to be typecast mm. because of the way they look and perform. Yeah. But he's not performing like a crazy person. He's performing like a real... Me- Do you reckon it's the final, like, 30 seconds of the movie that got him typecast? When maybe. He started, when he does that creepy smile to the camera. And we're seeing... He, we're hearing his inner yeah, monologue. Yeah, maybe that's the thing that people go, oh, yeah, he's crazy. He can be the crazy, unhinged guy. Yeah. But for the most of this movie, he's just a sweet, lovable little like. Just a guy, a sucker. He's yeah. a bit of a sap and a sucker. Asexual kind of yeah, sucker. I guess. Yeah. Oh, he's like Jimmy Stewart esque. Mm. He's Jimmy. Stu- Why didn't he have one of those careers? I think this is such yeah. an iconic role. Jimmy Stewart had iconic roles, but they were all everyman. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. Uh, uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, mm. and some westerns here and there. Uh, and even like Rewindow and Vertigo, he's kind of like an everyman in those films. You can't really identify what he is the same way that you can't identify Tom Hanks as like any one role. Whereas yeah. this is clearly, this is a fucking movie. It's a star making A star making yeah. performance and an iconic film with an iconic performance that is so closely tied to him. Like you can't mm. see, you, you know, you see his face when you see this movie title. And you yeah. see her as much as you see Janet screaming in the shower those are the two things that you think of what was her career like after this I mean I guess she was already quite popular Mm. she was um, a bit of a star anyway so she would kind of transcended it but oh yeah she did so much stuff after this Bye Bye Birdie all this Iconic stuff. Mm. Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. Of course, Halloween H2O 20 years later. Oh, with her daughter. She has a cameo in that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe that brings us to a nice point we can kind of talk about the legacy of this film because I don't know what else we can really say about Psycho. It's good. That hasn't been said before because it's just the... It's one of the best movies of all time directed by a guy who is undeniably one of the great directors of all time, if not the greatest. Um, I think... Technical directors. Let me just say that. One of the best technical directors of all time. I still don't know if I... You know, people have gotten better performances. I mean, this is the best performance he's ever gotten by anyone (laughs) in any film. And it's one of the great performances. But I feel a lot of that comes down to the actor. That's more to Anthony, I would say. Before we go to Legacy, can Mm -hmm. I ask you a question? Yes. Um, Have you heard all this this, hubbub on the grapevine that Saul Bass claims he directed parts of this movie? 
Did he d- claim to direct the shower scene? Yeah, because yeah, he, it was based that. on storyboards that yeah. he created and stuff like that. And yeah. He, he came up with all the editing imagery in it and all that sort of stuff. Well, Saul Bass, of course, uh, we've talked about him on this podcast mm. for sure, I think. Title sequences, mainly. Yeah. What did we about. talk about him on? Um, I'm trying to remember what the hell he uh, did a title sequence for that we watched. Tomb Raider? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> But, you know, he's an icon of 1960s cinema yeah. and cinema as a whole, really. Yeah, yeah. He designs... He's one of the great graphic designers, designed posters, designed title mm. sequence. He designed the title sequence for <laughs> most of Alfred Hitchcock's films and yeah. a lot of the posters. Like, Vertigo is probably his most famous poster. Yeah. And that's the most famous poster for fucking Alfred Hitchcock as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, he's done... He's, like, they're, they're, they're entwined collaborators as much as Bernard Hermit is an entwined mm-hmm. collaborator with mm. Alfred Hitchcock. So, to me... I think that he would only claim this because it's Hitchcock who is such a star he takes everything is attributed to him yeah. even though he's got all these collaborators that mm. uh, you know made the work special as well so you think that Saul Bass at a certain point just said I'm sick of this blabbermouth gas bag <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker this I'm piece gonna try of, and this get... genuinely piece of shit of a bloke <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst guys iconically yeah. I'm just gonna really stick the boot in here cause I mean if it is based on storyboards mm. all that did and allegedly he came up with the idea of matching the iris yeah. on, on Janet Lee's eyes I on have the train and stuff like that you know, but you would never that go. Mean you directed it. Yeah, you would never <laughs> say the storyboard artist for fucking um, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle <laughs> directed the movie. It's only because he did design he what one of the stuff. most famous scenes in cinema history was going to look like, and he he, he has got a credit for it. By yeah, the way. it's not just um, it's not just like credits by yeah. Saul Bass. He's credited as like pictorial consultant or something like yeah. that which means what nothing really it's just clearly a throwaway thing yeah. that you know Hitchcock's gone alright we did use some of your ideas so I'll throw you yeah, this bone I, I think he's definitely deserving of that credit yeah. uh, because he makes the movie he makes the movie that <laughs> oh, yeah. scene makes the movie that scene his, is the movie his design mm. makes it that iris matching with the that, that yeah. lifeless eye matching with the drain that close up of the eyebrow after mm-hmm. she's been killed mm-hmm. that is all stuff that makes it the way that that yeah. scene is filmed is what makes this movie fucking iconic because it's scary yeah. and it's overpowering mm-hmm. and it's just like you don't you've not seen cuts like that before in a film and if we're going to go there we may as well say the thing I hinted at before which is mm. that Bernard Herrmann's score is almost as much an auteuristic yeah. um, integral element of mm. this movie than as the directing is it's um, you, you don't think of the movie without the music no. this music especially and Hitch's original idea was to not have any music for that to be a silent scene where you're just hearing the screams you're hearing the cuts and stuff like which that which I don't mind it's a fine yeah, idea. It's an idea that makes sense, right? But it makes then so much sense. But it's Herman was iconic. like, nah, bruh. This makes it better. Let me put my shit down on it. Is this LEG? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Booyakasha. I'm going to put my fucking stank on it. You're going to hear it. <laughs> You're going to show me respect, man. Oh, Jesus. Vernon Herman from West Staines Massive. <laughs> West Staines Massive represent. Um, it's like, you know, it's the thing that people would quote. If you were yeah. to do a pantomime impression of the movie Psycho, you would be moving your arm as if Thank you're you. holding a butcher's knife going... <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's it's, the movie. That's the movie. It's the same as Jaws. Like you're yeah. like you're gonna put your freaking hand mm. on top of your head, yeah. miming a fin, and, and you go, go burn um. yeah, simple. And then you go freaking eat a woman's legs off. <laughs> it's uh, but it, not not even just that theme, but mm. every theme in this movie is yeah. Awesome. The music is incredible. Oh, All the driving sequences, of which there are many. I love the music for the driving <laughs> the sequences. The music is incredible in that. Yeah. Uh, the tense music, the fun music, mm. it's all, it's beautiful. It's a great score. Maybe before we move on to Legacy, we can talk about the back end of the film. Okay. Because that is... The booty. The booty, if you will. We're going <laughs> to get down to the booty and let's chew it out. So what, when you, because you, when you think about this movie, you think about the first half of the film. You don't think about Albergast doing his little oh, fucking yeah. investigation. I always forget about uh, Albergast. Yeah. always forget about him. I you, forgot about him. I watched both of these movies in the same day. Yeah. And both times I forgot about that character. You forget about fucking Albergast. <laughs> you forget about her Lila Crane. You forget yeah. about Sam Loomis returning. I yeah, That's all stuff that's that I forget true. about. But I really, really enjoy that this time. Well, that's really, if, we're gonna, if this mm. was... A movie being made now, the Janet Lee sequence would have been the cold open. Yeah. It would have been done in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then we'd get 90 minutes of, of Sam procedure. Loomis. Yeah. Doing of procedural. A, a procedural. Yeah. yeah. And um, I enjoyed it. Do you, I, I enjoy um, I Martin it. Balsam as Abagast. He's great. I enjoy the mystery unfolding, mm-hmm. um, which I think will come into play when we talk about legacy as yeah. well. But I, I, that's all stuff that I enjoy, but it's just... You know, that front end is so fucking loaded. With well, like it's the that, iconic part. And it's, yeah. I think the artistry is front is yeah. loaded yeah. in the front end of this They're film. It's sort of two different movies. You know? yeah. The first half is a weird, like, horror, essentially. Like yeah. a dread. It's filled with dread. The second half mm. is daytime for most of yeah. it. Just watching people drive, <laughs> talking about, where is she? I don't know. Let's yeah. get there. And then the PI comes to the hotel and leaves like three times. Yeah. It's so repetitive. But I, I'm not saying that's a problem. Mm. It's just not as iconic. The first one is almost one long sequence. Yeah, it's you a know. short film. Yeah. That I was forced to make. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I think the thing that gets me, can we talk about the ending? Yeah. Oh, that long the, monologue. Oh, yeah. That's the part that people... I really think is the worst part of this movie. It's I think it's the only <laughs> bad part of the movie. But yeah, I skipped it, through it. I got to be yeah. honest, in the second one. I, yeah. This time I watched it again, but second time around I went, oh, you know what? I don't need to hear all this again. Yeah, I know. This is a time that I kind of enjoyed it the most. I'm like, this is so campy. It's theater. And so it's like this, and it's brilliantly performed. Um, Simon, Simon Oakland. Simon Oakland. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's great. He feels like he's like a weird. TV cop, Maclock. Yeah, it's of. like something off Twilight Zone. Get yeah. Rod Serling to come out and just do the whole thing. Yeah, it's so it's such an odd thing because it's literally just him to the audience, which is now populated of just like people slightly involved with the case, like yeah. detectives and stuff. Just him literally going, "Well, yes, you see, Norman doesn't exist anymore. Well, maybe a little bit, bit of him does, but Norman and his mother told me the story." And just like it's just so, yeah. so much dialogue. It's, it's beautifully written audience, dialogue, or beautifully delivered for the audience to but go. I reckon it's for an audience in 1960 who would have been like, if the movie ended, they would yeah. have been like, "So what?" Yeah. So he's a woman. So or hang on, like, is he a woman or is his mother? Did he? When did he kill his mother? Was that early in the movie? Yeah. It's just honestly, so they can walk out and go, okay, so yeah, so got it's it. about a it's about a man who has a split personality. Yeah. <laughs> and it sucks. 
Yeah, it's so. <laughs> I think in the past, that's what's always stopped me from going. This is a perfect movie, but yeah, like watching yeah, it now, it's like mm, I kind of dug it. Twilight Zone is the perfect thing for it. It does feel like at a the weird end of the episode, he comes and goes. So he's like he's smoking his cigarette. Well, going. I guess we've all learned that some people can have two people inside them. Mm, exactly. <laughs> but that last shot, that stuff's great. I love it. Did you notice that there's a skull? Yeah, dude. I studied this at school. Uh, but it's just that last moment where it's just that... That's that's some brilliant acting. Just him with mm. that fucking zoom in on yeah. his face. That slow... Is either a push or a zoom. Not both. That's a vertigo shot. I call it the Jaws shot. I'm a Spielberg kid. <laughs> but just seeing him just have the thoughts and just like him no longer being himself. He's only his mother now yeah. who's like this devious, manipulative person to him. Mm. Uh, just like playing with his mind and losing himself is such a great way to end the film. And then we see that fucking car being pulled up from the swamp. Mm. Man, what a freaking film. It's a great film. Mm. Was the money in that boot? I don't even know where the money is. I think the money, he grabs the newspaper yeah. when he's cleaning out her room. I think he grabs the newspaper and chucks in the boot of yeah. the car with her. Hope someone found that money. Oh, God, I hope so. I hope that rich Texas billionaire just gets his money back. <laughs> I remember that really pissed people off when we watched it at uni. Really? That the money wasn't the really a just, plot element. It's, it's a, a red MacGuffin. herring. Yeah. A MacGuffin people were like. just like annoyed at it, being mm. like, but... They set up the whole thing with the money and then it didn't even pay off anywhere. Is this so- like, yeah, it's to trick you. That's it's what to, it is. To lure you in into thinking that's what the movie's going to be about. Yeah. That's crazy to me that anyone would think that. Those people do not work in the industry. How could you forget? <laughs> how could you ever remember that's part of the movie is the money? Like, I followed the money this I've time. I've just seen it so many times. I know it yeah. now. But, like, I mean, if there are any dumbasses out there <laughs> who are like, how come the money didn't pay off? Um... It's not about the money. It's you about women it. being killed. You don't get it. It's about women being killed by a man who is a woman. <laughs> uh, let's talk about legacy then, because yeah. we've touched on a few like things already, like mm. Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what is thought to be the first slasher film. Is it actually the first? I've wondered about that. I've read that as well, and I think aren't there other ones from the fifties, like stalker movies and stuff? This is the count? first one where it's like genuinely thought of as the slash. I don't. There's to me, there's my knowledge. There's nothing really around. Mm. The only thing is at the same time is Michael Powell did Peeping Tom right, same year, right, right, and it right, broke right. a lot of the same boundaries that this mm. film made which is another serial killer film. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the one that became more iconic. That's still a beloved and iconic film. But this, you can't beat Hitchcock, even if you're fucking Michael Powell, you know? Sorry, Mike. He's one of the best. Michael Powell's one of my favorite directors ever. Uh, with Emmerich Pressburger, of course, I did many wonderful films, such as The Red Shoes and Black Narcissus. Haven't seen either of them. Don't They're care. fucking dope, dude. You should check this shit out. Never. I refuse. I'm a Hitchcock boy. <laughs> <laughs> I chose Team Hitchcock, man. Yeah, man, I chose. <laughs> Hitchcock would have had a little chode 100% Beautiful A beautiful Robust little chode It would be hairless Entirely yeah, hairless Entirely hairless And bold And With a little fucking cigar yeah. Dangling out of it A little stogie A stogie hanging out The stogie <laughs> It just looks like a Subway sandwich cut in half And yeah. then at both ends applied So it just looks like the same thing And then the same thing <laughs> Alright So the legacy 
Yeah, now, so it's, of course it's the proto-slasher. It's kind of, of invented the genre, really. We've seen, As we mentioned with Scream, it's mm-hmm. kind of been played on or yep. made, you know, homage to many yep. times throughout. And um, of course, Halloween. I would mm-hmm. say the score for Halloween and Friday the 13th movies are very reminiscent of Bernard Herrmann's score in this film. Mm-hmm. And of course, talking about Halloween, it stars Marion Crane's daughter as mm-hmm. the lead. Yeah, a little nod. A little nod, a little tip of the hat. Speaking of um, tips of the hat, uh, unfortunately, Alfred Hitchcock uh, did... did <laughs> he, he never wore a hat. He, t- he never wore a <laughs> yeah. hat, but he, he did tip into the grave. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, the guy did cock it. The guy died. Um, is it true that they he refused any sequels or remakes during his lifetime? Uh, he, I can't, he hasn't directed any. I can't think of any. But then, uh, well, he did he's direct, remade his own yeah, movie, but for this, like, he wouldn't let them, he wouldn't let mm. Universal remake or do anything. But then when he died, mm. that's when, like, almost a year later, they started making new movies. Oh, I can't think of what would have happened around then, but I know his films have been remade. Mm. Um, well, they have since, since he cast yeah. it, at least for this one. When did Psycho 2 come out? Psycho 2 came out in 1983. Right, yeah. So yeah. that would have been a little bit after, I think, he died in 76, maybe? Possibly. I think he died in the 70s sometime. But Psycho 2, which is what we'll be talking about now, is a movie that I think is a like truly underappreciated sequel because it's got the hardest task to like make a fucking sequel to one of the most famous movies of all time. I hate mm. calling movies famous, <laughs> but this is like... A, it's an icon. There's a movie... Yeah. There's very few movies that are as, uh, as remembered as this. Yeah. And so, 23 years later to come out with not, a 1983 sequel to Psycho um, is crazy. And it was remade because Robert Block, the author of the original Psycho book, mm. wrote a Psycho sequel around then that dealt with uh, Hollywood and the kind of what, it, like about like what Psycho, what had happened to him kind of since Psycho. Mm. Like it just it was ba- it wasn't it wasn't exactly that. But it was like based on right. fame and stuff right. like that. Really, I don't. I've never read it. Never had any desire to read it. And um, so Universal thought we need to make something so someone else doesn't get the rights to this book or whatever mm. and make a crappy sequel to Psycho. We've got to look after one of our most, uh, not lucrative properties, but one of our most iconic properties. That's such a crazy choice. Mm. Two decades and a yeah. bit later, two decades and change later yeah. to, <laughs> to go, let's, let's do it again, like to hang on to it yeah. or something. I don't really understand... The logic behind it. But I haven't seen it, full disclosure. Mm -hmm. I'd heard about it a long time ago. And from what I'd heard about is that it kind of deals with the movie Psycho as well. In that it is, you know, the murders of the first movie are iconic in the world of the second movie. And famous or something. Or well known at least. You know, not they're not like, oh, this is the most famous thing that's ever happened. People do know about it. People do know Norman Bates' name. Some people Mm. not realize put two and together and see that it's him. Mm. The teens fuck in the basement of the (laughs) of the house. Hell yeah. Teens sneak in, they fuck in the basement, which is where we discover uh, Norman's mother in the first movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, the hotel or the motel has in has been given to someone else, played by Dennis Franz. 
<laughs> who uh, is one of the great slime ball actors of all time. <laughs> so, uh, and he's kind of turned into like a fuck motel, like where mm. people come do drugs and fuck each other and stuff like that. I love it. So it's the world has changed, and uh, the movie begins with Anthony Perkins coming out of the mental institution that he's been in, mm-hmm. uh, saying that he's made recovery, and Robert Loja is his lawyer. Who's oh my saying, god, another great slime. Another ball great actor. slime ball actor. <laughs> he's his lawyer saying he's made he's made a like great progress. He made a full recovery. We recommend that he comes out. And then Lila Crane, who is now Lila M- Loomis. She married Sam Loomis. Hang on. Sam Loomis hooked up with sisters? Oh, the dream come true, baby. <laughs> That's so weird. Anyway, go. Go, yeah. go, Lila. I'm glad you're getting it from Sam. From Well, he's since passed. Oh, well. So she's a widow. The right. widow Loomis. The he, widow Loomis. He tipped into the grave. Yeah. So, um, we, so then we see him come out of the institution and try to form some semblance of a normal life. Mm-hmm. And he has he he he's a very sensitive character once again. Mm-hmm. You feel sympathy for him once again. And this is a film now in the tone of 80s slasher films really. But it's mm-hmm. a cut above um, I'd say anything not called Halloween really. There's okay. a few there's a few that I would say are on par with it, but I think this is a cut above most 80s slasher films. And it is it takes uh, it's written by Tom Holland, not Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> not Spider-Man, the guy ah, that did... Ah, Peter Parker himself. The guy that did Fright Night, the guy that did Child's Play. Right, right, So this right, is right, like right. his first, like, one of his early credited screenplays. He would go on to become a writer-director after that mm. of iconic horror movies um, or playful horror movies. And it's directed by an Australian director who I would say is one of my favourites, one of my personal heroes, Richard Franklin, mm. who is a true student of Alfred Hitchcock. He directed films in Australia such as Patrick and Road Games, uh, which are great films if you've never seen them. Road Games itself is a it's a homage to Rear Window. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people call it Review Mirror because it's it's Rear Window set on wheels. Oh, Semi trailers starring Marion Crane's daughter herself once again, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> So he is a student of Hitchcock. He had met Hitchcock when he was in mm. film school. He was such a big fan of him. Psycho was the movie that made him want to become a filmmaker and pursue filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So when he was in like studying film school, he he reached out to Hitchcock, got Hitchcock to come to his university and speak like to the class and stuff like that. Wow. To hold like a lecture. Mm. And they became friends. He became a bit of like a he became like an official mentor to him, really. Wow. And um uh, and he is, I think, up there with Brian De Palma as to the only two filmmakers to have used the Hitchcockian cinematic language mm-hmm. and be able to successfully apply it in different settings and modernize it without mm. it feeling hokey ever really um, at, in any kind of way. Like maybe Spielberg does a little bit, mm. but these guys genuinely do have the cinematic style of Alfred Hitchcock, but it's in modern settings or in different settings. I think Road Games is a great example of that, and I think that's why he is able to make this movie a, a, a cut above what should feel like a cheap, shitty, why would you even make this? Mm. Um, because it is a comment on what is happening in horror now, and it is a comment on what uh, on Hitchcock films, because it doesn't feel like a Hitchcock movie, it just feels like the son of a Hitchcock movie. Right. In a really uh, a way that I find elegant and tasteful. So the film deals with Norman coming out of institution and having to acclimatize himself to a regular life of some kind. He works at a diner. He meets a young woman who stays at the hotel with him and stuff. And it's just it's him. 
it's a character study really more than mm. anything but then it also becomes a bit of a whodunit which is what a lot of slasher films of that era were doing there mm. were, a lot of them were very much Agatha Christie ripoffs because they yeah. didn't know how to make a slasher and film and Scream yet. would later do it again and Scream would later you know comment on those kind mm. of things as well and so so from what I gather the murders start happening and we and even Norman are unsure as to whether Norman is doing that. yeah and we yeah. see him slip into them um, and so characters go missing. He has to kick Dennis Franz out, who is a great slimeball actor. And Dennis Franz comes to the diner and says, like, oh, he's a psycho, wacko. And I was like, God, I wish they called the movie Wacko. <laughs> the sequel should be called fucking Wacko. And it's just like, it's, and there's so, there's great kills in it. It's more violent than the original one, but mm-hmm. I think it's done in a way that's tasteful mm. for an 80s slasher film, really. <laughs> and there's some twists and turns that don't, that don't really hold up as well. But I think, it just shows that it's an interesting reboot, really, because it's like it's or a legacy sequel, one would call it, because the first film is so important, but it is something totally different as well. And I mean, and it turned it, it into has a- no real like life. It hasn't mm. really got much of a like love. That it's movie. not iconic. I think yeah, it's. So I think it's loved amongst people. I discovered it because Leonard Moulton loves the movie. I've heard other people say they love it. Quentin Tarantino claims mm. he loves it. Yeah, but I have a theory that anytime a movie is a little bit shit, yeah. the producers go to Quentin Tarantino yeah. to get a pull quote. For oh, it. for sure. <laughs> because for sure. every time something you're like, oh, that looks, I don't know if I want to watch that, there's always one quote from Quentin Tarantino yeah. saying, this is the my best f- movie I've ever seen. This is my favourite fucking very specific <laughs> subgenre. So, yeah. I don't know. I've never been drawn to watching it. I remember reading about the mm. book a long time ago and yep. about the movie and neither of them really grabbed me. I think the idea of a two decades later... Yeah. Sequel sort of annoys me, but now we're living in this age where this is happening all the time. Yeah, like with Star Wars and Rocky, Rocky and um, Train Spotting. Like, yeah. there's there's always two dec- decades later sequels. So, mm. I mean, is it worth a watch? I think it is because I I genuinely think Richard Franklin is a wonderful director, mm. and I think this is such an interesting case where, like, what other movies where it's a true bonafide all-time classic masterpiece has a sequel years later that works. Like, Train Spotting is close, but yeah. that's still the same director coming I back know, to do it. I know, that's why I get a bit weirded out by this whole thing is because how do you how do you even agree to work on this mm. movie? I mean, the script must have been good enough for those two stars to sign back on, but yeah. as a director, like, how could you not be freaked out that you're stepping into the silhouette yeah, of, of your uh, literal yeah, hero. Of your hero. Well, I think he would have felt that he had the blessing. I think, you know, I think that if... I think for him it would be a dream to do that. But also, if it weren't him and if it weren't Brian De Palma, it would be some hack. Yeah, but then you could just hate it. Exactly. It. But why would you want that to happen? Why would you yeah. want... I think he would probably have felt protective of the legacy of his idol. What's the rest of his career like? Richard oh, Richard Franklin. Franklin. He, he passed away. Not... Not long after this. No, he, he had a few innings in him. Um, yeah, are you looking up? Yeah. Uh, he directed um, The True Story of Eskimo Nell. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I know the title of it. <laughs> it's one of those Ozploitation films. Yeah. From the 70s. It's like a weird softcore. And Phantasm. Both yeah. softcore comedy. Phantasm, sexy. <laughs> sex comedies. Patrick. What did he do after Psycho? Patrick. Um, Psycho 2 is quite early in his career. Yeah. So, 
Um, he's got some pretty iconic. Because I know he in passed here, away actually. in like the mid two thousands. So Eskimo Nell, Patrick Road Games, mm-hmm. then uh, Psycho Two, yeah, Cloak and Dagger, which I've never heard of. Oh, Cloak and Dagger is um, it is a uh, quite a well beloved American movie. Dabney uh, Coleman, <laughs> yeah. It's also written by Tom Holland from Spider Man. Yeah. It's it's I think it's a video game movie. It's like something where mm. people are train like video games are training people to become killers. Hang on. FX two. There's a bunch of nothing that I really know, you know. Um uh, but I think I think I have a lot of love and respect for Richard Franklin. Uh just from his early career up into Psycho, I think he uh is one of the great Australian directors. Um, and this third one, have you seen this third one? Directed by Anthony Perkins? Yeah. No. So that's how much he clearly loved the character that he <laughs> that he went, I love this character so much I'm going to direct the, th- the second sequel to mm. a Hitchcock movie based on him. I yeah. haven't seen that either. Apparently that one's decent as well. Really? And it apparently picks up right after Psycho 2. There's also a Psycho 4 The Beginning, which is like a semi-prequel that also mm. stars Anthony Perkins as a TV movie. Then there was another series called Bates Motel where there's a pilot for it that stars Bud Court and someone else as Norman Bates. I can't remember who it is. Mm. We have the 98 remake, which of course happened eight years after Psycho 4. Mm-hmm. And then... We have the more modern recent TV series Bates Motel, which serves as a prequel to Psycho with uh, Vera Farmiga as the mother. And Freddie Highmore as, as Norman, Norman Bates. A young Norman Bates. And it's, I think Marion Crane is in it, really? played by Rihanna. <laughs> I did hear that. You know, I've heard it's pretty good. I remember I, I watched a, 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 quite a bit of the first season because I have a fondness for Psycho, mm. um, but I I don't know. It's just to me, it's so bizarre that this movie. Uh, to me, it's interesting that this film has all these sequels, remakes, reimaginings, mm. but it's a rare example where it has not tarnished the original. And I think that's because it is an Alfred Hitchcock film. You can't get more iconic than that. Also, there was a long period of time between the original coming mm. out and any other sequel, reboot, remake. Um, a long time. Yeah. You know? So, there's enough time for it to become considered an actual classic yeah. in there. Whereas, for example, tragically with The Hangover... Mm. Um, tragically, we did have a sequel to The Hangover almost immediately. Yeah, almost two years later, there was a sequel. Tragically, they did rush one out into cinemas. And then tragically, another one after that. To close out the Wolfpack trilogy. <laughs> but if they hadn't done that, the Wolfpack you know, mm. would have been standalone comedy classic. Yeah, yeah. like Psycho. Like Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you ever in a million years have wanted to see a remake of this movie? And if so, would you have wanted to see it done shot for shot? With a little bit of VVF, a Vince Vaughn factor? Hell yeah, dude. Is that something that you... Any movie is improved by chucking Vince Vaughn in it. I mean, that's true. The guy's a swinger. Especially if he's jerking off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think... It's very hard because I saw that one first. Mm. But I don't think I could ever say that I want to see a remake done this way yeah you know i don't think it's ever been done before or since surely not well not by well there's some that have been done by the same director like funny games michael haneke yeah but i mean shot for shot i think that is shot for shot i don't think so i think funny games is just it's a remake but it's not it just feels like tracing but anyway we're going to be talking about that next week i cannot wait to talk about that next week because that is a fucking that's something else it's yeah i don't even know 
really how I feel about it. Yeah. Oh. I just know that it really shook me up. Yeah. Oh, my. We'll dive into it. I have so many it. questions. We'll dive into it next week, guys. So, stay tuned. In the meantime, if you do want to watch Psycho 1998, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You're going to, you know, just do it. It's crazy. It's real It's a weird. fucking crazy movie. I wouldn't ever suggest you pay for it. No, no, no. <laughs> I did. I do own it on Blu-ray because I have a Psycho box set. Oh, did you? Yes. I watched it on YouTube in one of those <laughs> stretched formats. Oh, how it deserves to be seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Next week, of course, we're talking about 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to hear more from us, hit up patreon.com slash total reboot. Uh, for just five bucks a month, you can get access to our spin-off extra bonus podcast, Total Reboot Riffs, where we do what? We pitch our own reboots and remakes for movies that already exist, and you can give us ideas for them if you're yeah. there. You also get access to a special exclusive club on Facebook mm-hmm. called the Cinephile Registry. We've got a bunch of people in there already. Oh, and, and it's so we fun. We talk movies. We make fun of things. Uh, it's very good. I love I it. I really I'll... would love you to join it because it's it's my favorite thing at the moment. Yeah, I love little it. little notifications I get from that. Um, click so it immediately. I immediate, click it immediately. Immediate. I've got to see what people are saying. Yeah, it's great. It's so funny. A lot of in-jokes, a lot of laughs. So you can join us there. You can also find me on Twitter at This Is Alexi. I'm also there on Instagram as well. That same fucking... <laughs> <laughs> that same thing. Same handle. That same handle. And yeah. Cameron, you are... Speaking of handle, knife handle. Read, read, read. You suck, dude. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at I am Cameron James as well. And uh, oh, also, if you're in Sydney, buy tickets to my show on August 20. I'm recording a comedy album of my last hour at the Enmore Comedy mm. Club. I'd love you to come. If you want to come, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you discount tickets yeah. if you use the promo code Yeah Baby. Yeah Baby. All one word. Yeah Baby. You can Google it and find out where. You know, it's to in the buy show tickets. notes. It'll even be in the show notes. It's in notes. the show notes right but now. I'd love you to come. I think it's two for one tickets or you know, half price or something for anyone who uses Yeah Baby. So mm. come along, laugh, be on an album. That'd be fun. Hell yeah. And if you liked what you heard, and I know you did because you listened for over an hour, um, <laughs> give us five stars on iTunes as well. That really helps us out right now. And especially because I think these psycho episodes are pretty emblematic of what we're doing on the podcast. That would really help us out. So thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll see you next time you're in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hot, hot.